morning. Good morning. Find your seats. As we uh, do that, I ask for you guys, if you would, uh, consider prayer. <coughs> So, um, one of the outworkings of the uh, of uh, our roving pastors prayer group, as you know, are some outreaches into some communities, which then beg the question of how do we help folks uh, who may have very little training in the scriptures or training in um, talking to people about Christ. Um, and it prompted a uh, sort of a, a creation with some structure to a, a system and a program that, at least for now, is being called Seminary Without Walls. It's just a, a uh, opportunity to train up some lay folks in, uh, um, in, in our community. And you might say, well, man, I have interest in that, and I don't know... Um, you haven't shared that with me. You know, I'm one of those guys. I like to go be a part of something first, see what I need to think about it. But one thing that has happened um, by virtue of being there is um, we've been able to take a real. We're, we're providing something. There was something similar to this in the past, but it had it was systematic theology um, and then some uh, practical stuff. But there was no overview of the scriptures. And as they were talking to me about it, I said, you know, we really need like a Old Testament and New Testament survey so that, you know, if you want to have people be able to, to minister and disciple people, they need to know the Bible. And so we're actually, um, I've helped work on the uh, development of the <coughs> Old Testament um, survey, and, and I'll be teaching some of the Old Testament, but the, uh, we're, we're using Peter Lighthart's book, A House for My Name, as our textbook in addition to the scriptures for Old Testament. Um, this evening there's a there's a orientation for the students. I'll I'll be there for that. But um, I, I want to just ask you to be praying for our city, our community, um, as we continue to work towards uh, finding ways not just to pray but also to take real action in our community. And uh, of course we're always thankful when we can bring solid biblical teaching and thought uh, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, uh, and we get through the, the first one, and you know, I see the strengths and the weaknesses. We'll, uh, we'll, uh, I'll open it up to the greater con congregation. You need me to speak up? Yeah. I've had a funny experience this week. Yes. Um, talking about, um, well, sometime recently, Jonathan and Josiah came over and helped me rake up some neighbors' leaves. Uh huh. So I raked up the leaves of three neighbors' houses, and I find that, that they all came over and thanked me, which means that, that um, what I think is that part of Christian witness is hands as well as mouth. And that's sort of my bottom line comment. No, I, I agree with you. Uh, many of you guys know. Uh, our new Tom Winger, I was at a I was at a uh, a appreciation breakfast or pastors breakfast at uh, Rockridge, and we were sitting at the table together. 
and he talked about his father, Tom Winger Sr., who still pastors up in the Pasadena area, how as, as he was growing up, how his father, the pastor, mowed the lawns of a lot of the elderly and, and other folks in the neighborhood that they were in. Um, that there's a real tangible thing about looking. It's usually pretty easy to tell who might, who might uh, be in need by just looking around, right, and saying, how can I help you? Um, how can I get in your life? Um, I, I was also thinking about just in general what, what we have to do. Um, many of you, and, and um, I'm going to put this out, uh, a link to it. Uh, some of you may have seen or, or heard <coughs> the phrase, the Moscow mood in the last couple of weeks. Anybody? Raise your hand if you've. Okay. So a, lo a lot of stuff going on about all that. Um, Obviously, some critics of, of Moscow and then responses to it on very, to varying degrees. A number of things I thought were really good. Depending upon what you're looking for, I have different things to recommend. But if there was just one, it would be this. It would be Tim Bailey. Anyone ever heard of Tim Bailey? Okay. Um, who, who <coughs> I would say, sometimes criticizes um, you know, our movement um, and at the same time, in many ways, sees himself as uh, co-belligerence with us for Christ. But he wrote what I thought was the best explanation, and I'll put a link up to this. And basically, the, the criticism is we don't really like how Moscow does things and in, in, the, in the, the media place. And there may be some room for, for some uh, criticism there. But most importantly, they missed the big component and Tim Bailey brings up the fact that, you know, Doug's been pastoring in that community for 43 years. And that they've been doing things to build Christian culture with families living and doing and working and building with their hands and their actions and their worship for 43 years. And now you're coming into third and fourth generations of folks, um, you know, beginning their lives, like for the fourth generation, but, but you know, you've, you've seen a turnover where people are growing up, marrying, obviously some move away for a variety of reasons, but many stay in, in what they're doing. And, and Tim Bailey talks about the centrality of the church and longevity of a church in a community and what faithful worship and faithful living in that community, loving your neighbors and doing these things, things like what uh, Joe Green brought up how important these things are and doing it over the long haul and and knowing all the while as we worship God that God is, is transforming the world. So um, I'll share that link later today, um, but I want to ask you to be praying um, for um, this church, our community, and the things that we're doing. Um, before we pray, I just want to mention we'll finish up our discussion on grief today. Uh, I want to as as much as I, I love uh, uh, John Flavel and what he's shared with us in a variety of ways, uh, let me just say that one of the important things as we see folks in our church go through grief is that we have a call to walk with them, right? And our goal is to help them carry the burden, help direct them to Christ. Don't ever lose sight of that. It's easy to see... Oh, you need to just trust in the providence of God, you know, snap out of it, all these kinds of things. 
Um, and, and whereas we can encourage them, walk with them, tarry with them, be long-suffering uh, with them. Uh, with that in mind, let us, uh, let us pray today. Our God and our Father, we thank you, O Lord, for your great mercy that is always upon us, for your providential hand that guides our lives. Lord, I pray that as we close out thinking on, on in the autumn of life about grief, may we, Lord, um, remember your providential hand that we should trust in you. And we thank you for your great and mighty mercy that is always upon us. Bless us and encourage us. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Um, and just as a, I'm, I'm going to do what I can next week to cover, I, I encourage everyone to, myself included, but for all of us to be on time next week so we have a shot at, at getting it done in one Sunday school class. Excuse me, but we'll be talking about medical ethics, particularly as it uh, relates to end of life as a Christian. How we should think about that, what the scriptures um, guide us and give us in, uh, instruction on uh, in terms of thinking about end of life and what we should be doing. So uh, with that, uh, let's continue on. We've been uh, working on facing grief um, with John Flavel, the Puritan. If you haven't been here before, I'll just say um, John, uh, a Puritan, underwent a great deal of uh, grief in his life. He lost children. He lost three wives. Um, and amazingly, God blessed him with a fourth wife. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've joked about it before, but it seems today to be like, wow, somebody's lost three wives. Should they get a fourth? I don't know. Is God stricken this man and in one sense John would say yes when God brings um, challenge and grief and affliction um, I want to remember his providential hand, his kindness, his mercy in these things uh, but as, as we read some of these things and I share some of them with you uh, keep that in mind he's not speaking from a high horse but he's speaking from the low standpoint of having walked in the uh, valley of grief himself so uh, he says this in point number nine about how to, how to grieve, how then should we grieve. The hope in the resurrection should powerfully restrain all excesses of sorrow in those who do profess it. So he's saying that there is a, a lens with which we should look at uh, our, our sorrow. Right? If we lose someone, uh, we, we should be able to trust in God because we believe in the resurrection. First uh, Thessalonians 4.13 says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. If we, have, if we believe in the resurrection, <coughs> then uh, we believe that, that we have hope that, that uh, those that believe in Christ Jesus will be at the resurrection as we will too, as we will as well. I mean, and all, everyone will be at the resurrection, but be resurrected into Christ. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who, are, who sleep in Jesus. And we have to just recognize that. He says this, both Luther and Augustine remind us by the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus, we will know our loved ones. In other words, we're going to get to heaven. We're not going to be um, unknowing of those around us, those that have gone on before us. We've all considered perhaps, man, when I get to heaven, I'd really like to see that saint. 
I'll talk to that person. What was that like? What did they endure? Um, and uh, how do they work through those things? Or to, to talk about the, the depths of Christ. And of course, we all rejoice in the idea that we, we too will be able to see Christ face to face. And because of his death and resurrection, um, that we'll be able to see the face of God. Uh, what a blessing. But, but in that too, when we're alive and we have our wives and we have our children, we don't necessarily think so much about the fact that we'll too see them there. First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 19 says this, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are glory and joy. And we'll have no infirmities. First Corinthians 15, 43. If, if you're struggling with something that, that is hampering you, if the Lord has blessed you with a ripe old age, you recognize that you're not as healthy as you once were. You don't recover as quickly. Matter of fact, last night Naomi was talking about if somebody had to fall down the stairs, she'd rather it be herself than me. And as her dad, I'm like, I'd rather it be me than you, right? Um, <clears throat> but she's like, you know, I stand the ability as a younger person to recover more quickly. You sure it's not just because she doesn't want to hear you bellyaching? <laughs> well, it, it could be. It could be that. I, I must say that 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 as as most men, when when I am like when I'm down for the count, when I'm in the bed and I'm not getting up, you know, I'll. Uh, it, well, they usually try to stay away from me because they don't want to catch what I have. But, you know, I, I can tell you this. When I was younger, I, I, I was much more of a crybaby than I am today. Um, you know, oh, it's an excuse to, to go ahead and lay around and be um, just uh, succumb to it. Uh, but the, I, I think the point, though, is, is that infirmities come upon us, difficulties. Some are more permanent than others. But... Um, you know, it says this in 1 Corinthians 15, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. And so in, in the resurrection, our bodies, um, if you want to say this, will be our best selves as God sees it, right? Um, so I, I just I keep that in your mind. There's no more death. We see this in Luke 20. Nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and sons of God, being the sons of the resurrection. And so um, don't let your heart become so weary in, in grief that you lose sight of what it is in the resurrection. Next, the present felicity into which all that die in Christ are presently admitted should abundantly comfort Christians over death of such as either carried a lively hope out of the world with them or have left good grounds of such a hope behind them. If God has given you clarity that the person uh, loved Christ and lived in this way, what a joy. So there's a lot of words there, but basically, if you saw the person and God helped you see that they love Christ and they were clinging to Christ, when they die, there's no reason to simply be full of misery, but it is what joy to see that they are in Christ Jesus, right? What an exciting time. The best day of a person's life, if they are in Christ, is the day that they die and they see Christ face to face. What a blessing. What a joy. What a wonderful thing. And it, it, it can be hard and there can be hardship. I, 
I'll push back on that. That is a great day, but I think the greater day is in the resurrection because we're we're with we're with God and we're finally able to carry out the dominion mandate as He gave it to us. So we're re-embodied, always with God, and able to finally accomplish the mission He gave us in life. All right, I'll take that clarity to a certain extent. In other words, that the greater resurrection that the resurrection is the greater joy. But perhaps the way a better way to rephrase my intent would be to say that uh, so far in their life, whatever joys that they've had will pale in comparison to the day that they stand before Jesus that first time uh, in his presence. Um, but uh, certainly, of course, great joy because we'll be with all the saints. Um, we will truly come to understand in its total extent God's mercy and grace that is bestowed upon us because of Christ. Um, Paul said, you know, it's, it's greater for me that I go to be with the Lord. But he thought of all of them who would be, who would be without his great teaching. You know, he thought of them and they thought of him. You know, it was, it was it's greater for me to go to heaven, but it's greater for you that I stay here and he was suffering great after he was left for dead. You know, he, he, you know, he suffered tremendously. Uh, you know, you get one bruise going down the stairs, you can imagine when they healed, when they heaved enough stones to kill you, what you felt like after that. Yep. Um, and John Flavel, he, he uses John 14, 28 as a supporting verse. He said, you've heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And I think the point there is that if, if we go to the Father, it is great joy to see uh, first Christ go to the Father um, in, in, uh, in vindication and being seated at the right hand of the Father, but also all the much more when our loved ones are with Christ. Um, it is a great joy. He says this, The king from heaven has sent for your spouse, child, or friend. And do you grudge at the journey? What an honor that Christ has taken them out of your bosom and laid them in his own. Your child is now glorifying God in a higher way than you can. You have only lost for a time. And so in Christ Jesus, we can come to the understanding that, first of all, we, we forget this in the providential thing, but he words it this way, that, that the king from heaven has sent for your loved one. You think about that. It didn't surprise God. No, this was God's calling uh, to them. And so um, let us, first of all, be thankful to God that God has called them, but also that as much as we love them and the love that they experience because of us, that being laid in Christ's bosom is all the greater. Um, <clears throat> the next point that he makes is, Consider how vain a thing all your trouble and self-vexation is. It in no way betters your case. You know, if we allow our grief to prevent us from doing what God is calling us to do, um, we, we find that, that uh, living in such a state does not better our situation. We see in Jeremiah 31 
Verse 18, I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. You have chastised me, and I was chastised like an untrained bull. Restore me, and I will return, for you are my Lord, my God. And, uh, you know, sometimes as God brings hardship upon us, loss of a loved one, um, we can get in a place where we say, well, God's chastising <coughs> us, but are we listening? Are, are we saying... To our, to our Father in Heaven, Lord, this is hard for me, um, but I'm trusting in your providence in this. Um, don't, don't merely stay in the state that you are. God did not take our loved one for the point of having us cease to do anything, right? Because that person isn't our all in all. Christ Jesus is. And that's not to say that this person, this loved one, isn't important to us. But we want to keep it in perspective of our God and King. He also uses 2 Samuel 12, 22, and he says this, and he said, while the child was alive, this is referring to David, and the child uh, conceived in, in adultery, and David says, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Shall I go to him? But he shall not return to me. And just an, a recognition that certainly when people are sick, hurt, injured, we go before the Lord, we pray for his mercy. And even in this case, right, this is a judgment of God. David knows it is, and, and David still goes and cries out for God's mercy. He fasts, he prays before God. Now when the child dies, then he says, okay, um, I, I can't change this. Um, I know one day I will go to him. So I'm going to get up and go about uh, what God has called me to do as the king. And I think that's just important for us to recognize there's a time for fasting, there's a time for praying, and there is a time for grief. But it should not become, your grief should not become the defining thing of our lives moving forward. Yes, ma'am. Is there, uh, I'm sure there's a difference, but between grief and missing a person at each time of year that comes around that they've passed away or their mm -hmm. birthdays or, I mean, sometimes I think feeling like we cry because we do miss them, but we know they're, or the ones that don't know Christ, that's also a, a grief as well because there's people in my life that did not know the Lord and they passed away and it saddens me. Um, so is that like a that way or no do you, I, I think we see the scriptures teach us first of all to, to your second question mm -hmm. about those lost in unbelief right that, that God is grieved for those who rebel against him okay for those who um, even though he has predestined um, some uh, to be called and others to not um, he is not unkind. He's not unloving to them. They're getting justly what they deserve. Um, the, the amazing thing in that moment is for us to recognize our undeserving, the undeserving grace that he's bestowed upon us. Um, and, and so, um, you know, grieving for them, remembering them. Um, if you set aside a time to, to um, 
we, we were thinking about this this last year with my father, for example. He's no longer with us. But every Friday for probably 10 of the 15 years that he lived with us, uh, he got Subway for lunch. When he was m very mobile, you know, he would go with friends. And then when he couldn't go, um, you know, we started taking turns in the family, picking up. We knew exactly how he wanted his sub. We'd tell him they'd make it. Every Friday, we'd bring it home to him. And so this last year, it's been a couple, two years, and uh, I guess it was a year before, but uh, my son James, named after my father, said, hey, we, we decided that tonight for dinner, we'd have Subway just thinking about, um, you know, for him, his grandfather. And so, you know, we, we did that as well this year. I think, you know, to do things where we remember people is fine. Uh, I, and, and of course, there may be times where, you know, do I ever miss my brother? Do I ever miss my father? Um, sure. And, and, and so there are times of grief that we have in, in remembrance. And then we remember that there is the resurrection, that God's mercy and grace is upon us. That for those that are lost, when we recognize the great mercy that God has bestowed upon us, um, you know, it should evoke a sense of humble gratitude to the Lord for His mercy upon us. We can rejoice in uh, in such a way. So <laughs> it's not wrong to grieve. Yes. I don't know if you talked about this before in this study when we were here, but Ecclesiastes does say there's a time to weep. And a time to mourn. Yes. So. Right, right. So this is our third Sunday on the topic of grief itself. And so we've talked about, he, he shared a few points on grief, and then we talked about how grief can turn to sin. Then, then we talked about different points of how to view grief, and, and that's, that's kind of where, actually this might be our fourth Sunday on grief. Um, so Absolutely. I, I'm not saying there is no grief, because if for the, I don't know if you were here for where we talked about the seven ways that, a, that grief can become sinful, right? When, when we're talking about that, talking about where it becomes um, controlling in our life, and, uh, and, and I think that's, that's important as well. And for a time, yes, I mean, you think about it, if you, you lose a spouse, <coughs> Right? It's like losing half your body, half your, you know, things move and change, and, and that, that's a huge thing, losing a child, what much grief that is. So I, I'm not saying there's no grief. In this particular section, he's, he's trying to say to us, okay, how then should we look at grief um, and, and be careful not to fall in excess, um, where, in other words, it becomes the defining point of our life versus viewing um, things through God's providence and through his uh, uh, through the, the resurrection that we have hope in Christ Jesus for so so um, just to clarify what you're saying is that um, if I go through a grief period well or I start thinking about my you know stepmom and my step grandmother that I knew since I was really little and they you know I know they're not going to be going to heaven it I, I guess the best thing to do instead of like sitting on that and really like dwelling on it, just give it to the Lord to help me get past that or um, and and just be like you said, then just thank God that I was plucked up and that he 
he made me his child and how grateful I am for that. It's just so sad, you know, just the more time goes on and we don't know when Christ is coming, but I guess when I'm getting, now that I'm getting older, I'm starting to really think about that even more of those that I cared about and loved so much that, um, that didn't know the Lord and it's very sad. But also just remembering that was, you know, God's providence on them and it's just hard, you know, to think that way. I, I think it is. I, I think it can be very hard. It's first of all, it's humbling. It 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 insults our uh, our pride when we think about how God is working in these ways and ways that we don't understand. Excuse me, that we don't we don't get. And so, um, this is hard. Um, and and I think about as as difficult as we're talking about these very personal things to us right here. You know, I think we've, we're all aware we can think and, and see situations that have been so much harder on others and, and great persecution <coughs> and people dying for the faith and, and th- these kinds of things. And, and even, even aside from our comparison with anyone else, right, it's, it's, it's laying ourselves prostrate before the Almighty and His sovereignty. Right, that, that that is that is a real challenge for every Christian. Every Christian has to face those <coughs> those situations, and and we can study it in books. We can talk about it, um, but but as it, the the reality comes down to, when we are faced with these situations, how will we respond to God? I want to be very careful and clear here, too. We just have a couple minutes left. So let me say these things to, to all of you. Um, in no way um, should we be rigid with one another. Okay? There, there's, there's In the scriptures, there's no scripture that says this is the exact amount of time that you should grieve. Right? Or that it won't be particularly hard at one time or another. Right, and and that's what I'm trying to, to, to say to you. I, I want us to think these things out. I want us to be processing them, right? But I also want us to love one another, to care for one another, right? To lift up one another, right? Um, this is in part why the scriptures say to the church, you know, love and care for your widows. Don't have tea. Spend time. You know, one of the challenges with spending time with people is we don't think we have enough time. Right? So one of the things we all have to be challenged with is what is the trade-off? Right? I hope a great many of us um, grab a hold of the fact that our social media, our television and movies, <laughs> and even reading for fun um, you know, can be a real drain on our opportunity to spend real live time with people. Okay? And so um, I think that's really important for us to grasp hold of. The other thing that we have to challenge ourselves with, in, in reality, to caring and loving one another, <coughs> is we have to take a serious evaluation because we can say, I'm really busy doing the Lord's work or doing profitable things 
that I know please God. And yet, I know my neighbor needs me. Right? Now, on the one hand, I want to say God providentially gave us a limited amount of time. He gave us limited capacity. He gives us uh, many different um, uh, limitations. We're finite. Right? But I, I think a question that you have to ask is, if I spend, if, if I say what I'm doing with my family is preeminent and you never do something in service of others, you need to rethink that. I'll also say, one second, on a caveat to that is that there are seasons, Right? When, when, when we had all eight kids in our house and the oldest one was 14 and the youngest one was just born, that's a slew of kids. We had limited capacity. That's a season. You go through a season of, of uh, providences that God has put in your life that contract what you're able to do physically <coughs> or what you, um, you know, by virtue of, of different things he may place in your life that may cause you to, to have less there, it's okay. Understand that. I'm not saying sacrifice your family. What I'm saying is you have to think through what God is doing. And the other question is, if God puts a needy person in front of you, you probably can't meet all their needs. What can we do to rally our brothers and sisters in Christ? It's like Joe Green getting a couple of the Meyer boys come help him rake his neighbor's leaves. He rallied up some brothers in Christ to come help with that. Our sisters in Christ for needs for others. Yes, ma'am. I think um, on your point of time, you think of it sort of like money and how God gives you money. And you have, you have to take care of the money that you have, but also acknowledging that God gives and he takes away. So you could be the worst budgeter, but at that moment, God is still providing for you. You could be a great budgeter and think you got all your ducks in a row and then you lose everything. Um, but if you see a need and you you give out the money or you lose money or whatever, um, acknowledging that God is the one who takes care of your financial needs, it's the same thing with your time. Like if your neighbor is, in, you, you have all these appointments, but the next right thing is your neighbor needs you. You draft that for their neighbor, knowing that God can you know, buffer that. He's the one who controls your time as well as your money. That's right. And, and, and I would, again, just kind of tag on to that. Recognize you have limitations, right? So if we rally the congregation, if we rally our brothers and sisters in Christ with us, you know, what, what can we get accomplished when we pool our resources, right? I, I just, you know, in all of these things, there's the humanity Right? The loss of life, real grief, real challenge. Right? Brothers, sisters in Christ, let us walk with one another. Let us bear one another's burdens. Let's never lose sight of that. Don't stand in judgment. Walk. Continue to, to pray for those who have suffered loss or are nearing loss. Pray for them. Care for them. Get a cup of coffee. Talk to them about Christ. You know? A lot of times we feel like we have to go in and fix people, right? Talk about Christ. Talk about the word. Ask them how you can pray. Be careful about standing in judgment of them. Any final questions or comments? 
Oh, thank you for your attention on this. We'll do what we can next week on uh, thinking about uh, death and biblical ethics next week. Let us uh, pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you, O Lord, for your great mercy. I pray your spirit be upon us. Please prepare our hearts for worship and the renewal of your covenant promises with us. Bless us, O Lord, as we strive to love you as we ought, as we strive to love one another as we ought. And Lord, we do ask for, uh, for you to please show us our own hearts and show us the needs of those around us, that we may repent of our sins, serve you, and serve others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.